Welcome back, Murder in the Black fam. I am your host, Steph. And I'm MD. And today we have a crime case for you guys that has to do with football. And here at Murder in the Black, we absolutely... I love to do these crime cases because it kind of involves something that I naturally wouldn't, you know, You don't normally, you know, watch or... Right. I don't watch football. Yeah. Yeah. It's mine, though. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I think a lot of it is like I, you know... I was super close to our brother growing up. And right. I mean, I'm super close to him still. But one of the ways that I felt like I could bond with it, well, I wanted to just be just like him. And if you know anything about our brother, um, which we brought him on the show before, but he is all things sports. And so it was my way to bond with him. Right. And just, I think, like what he likes. And so, but as a result, I actually kind of fell in love with basketball and fell in love with football. And... I probably know things I shouldn't know. <laughs> right, right, right. I shouldn't say shouldn't, but that most women don't. Don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really love it because it kind of involves, like, learning more about the athlete, um, their life and their life story. But also, you know, learning how they kind of got into the demise of a crime case. Right, right. So, today's case is um, about Tommy and Tamar Kane. And we've dubbed this um, Consequences of Identity. Yeah. So, that's the name of this show, Consequences of Identity. Yeah. So, grab your coffee if it's the morning or your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. Now, the story of Tommy and Tamar begins in Montreal, Canada. And where they came, they dubbed Montreal like Little Burgundy. And it was a low-income neighborhood. And, you know, it was known for, like, you know, high crime. But a lot of uh, Black people were in the community there. And I know, I don't know about you, MD, if you know a lot about the Canadian culture as it relates to Black people. But there's a high... um high population of people that are from like the caribbeans and like island people yeah and so i always been very um curious about that so i guess diving into this story kind of made me more curious because i can't say i just learned a ton but uh we don't know about tommy's uh background like where he was from but we do know that tamar came from a trinidadian family and Minnie said that she had a sense of humor. She was always willing to help others. And both of them grew up in the same neighborhood and they had a loyalty to family. So although like in their early years, they, you know, they didn't date, but they knew each other. Yeah, they both they knew were in the same circles. Right. Do you, did you learn um, in your study of this case, um, is it, was it a high population of, of black people there? Yeah, well, apparently, yes. Um, and, and especially in this specific specific area of Montreal, it was a lot of black people there. Okay. And which, you know, just, you know, so happened to be the low income area, you know, right. much like here in, in uh, America. Um, so he is, um, you know, a somewhat of a bad boy, especially growing up. Um, you know, he was a player. He definitely played with women and played with their hearts. But I think more people gave him the benefit of the doubt because he was young. You know, mm-hmm. you can be a player when you're young. That's what they say. Oh, yeah, that's what they say. 
And he also got in trouble with the law. Like, he actually stole a car, but he got away with it somehow. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was a gifted athlete. Like, he just was a wide receiver, and people loved him. And I think that comes with a certain amount of privilege. What do you think about that? I definitely do. I think so. I think privilege doesn't always have to look the way that I think we normally talk about it today in our culture. Um, you know, but also just privilege in the sense that like I'm an athlete, so I get away with more, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, people give me a pass on things that maybe a normal kid who's not athletic wouldn't get a pass for. Right. So for sure. And I think that that plays a role in how all of this, his story pans out. Right. Is where he gets away with a lot of things early on that maybe had he had a little bit more consequences things would have looked different right absolutely and so because he was a gifted athlete um he earned a scholarship to syracuse university and so he was afforded the opportunity to come to america and pursue his uh, career as a football player but also he was able to get a free education and he actually was not too shabby in the classroom i mean he got really really good grades Um, He didn't just keep a C average. He actually had A's and B's. And it was at Syracuse where an altercation happened with him and a police officer. Now, he was given several parking tickets. I wanted to say, you know, it was like 19 parking tickets. And you know, like, if you are in college, you know about these parking tickets. I remember, like, I went to the University of North Texas and I, I vividly remember sometimes even just putting, like, one of my parking tickets on my car to hopefully allow the parking like police whatever the meter maid the meter maid just pass my car up right I already have a ticket I already have a ticket you already (laughs) gave me one for today sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't but I mean I know all about the whole I have 19 parking tickets right (laughs) so he was coming out to his car and he got into an altercation with the police officer about the parking ticket because he began to get into an argument with them um you know going toe-to-toe just having a frustrating day and to add insult to injury he had another parking ticket and so he was actually arrested for this offense and they were able to give him six months community service and so in my research like the way that this information was presented it seemed like it was just you know, just a run-of-the-mill, like, we got into an argument, maybe it got a little out of hand, but it was nothing too big. But honestly, he actually assaulted this police officer. Right. Like, and I don't know if this is that security police. Out. Yeah. yeah. And that didn't come out until the trial. Yes. What you learned didn't come out until the trial. Right. But I think it's important to know that there's, like, a history with him being abusive absolutely you know especially and this was a female cop i mean it wouldn't have been any better if it was a male but i think it speaks to his nature of being you know ready and willing to to assault a woman so he gets six months community service and actually he's you know why he's there in uh at syracuse they have their best season. I mean, that their record still stands. They were 11 and 0 in 1987 and as I said previously, he just was he was just all around a great athlete, but he also was good in the classroom and I think that afforded him some um 
some opportunities, like we said before, that he would not have got if he was just a regular guy going to college. Mm-hmm. So he graduates with a marketing degree and he quickly enters the draft. And he's drafted to the Seattle Seahawks. And he has just an amazing career there. Um, and I would like to just kind of pause and ask you, MD, what do you think about um, how much athletes are paid? I know that's like a debate, like, but he had a $3 million contract and I believe that was Back for three 80s. years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you think that's just like too much for athletes? Do you think they should even be getting paid that much? Do you think that's ridiculous? Do you think that's enough? I mean, you know, I think we got to keep in perspective. One, this is the 80s, so, like, they get paid even more than that now. Right. Um, but I think that... I think that it's... They are... It's a lot of money. And I can... I just want to say that I don't think I'm passionate on either side of the fence. I'm not passionate that, oh, my goodness, it's... Um, it's a just ridiculous amount of money for an athlete. I think that these people are like the best at what they do. They're the best of the best. And I, I think I'm more of, I think I more go along the argument of, so then let's pay all of our people, like where, whoever it is, um, in whatever field, the best of the best, like, you know, like our teachers are that are the best of the best should be paid, be paid more money than what they're being paid. Cause I think a lot of times you see the argument tied to, well, here you got, you know, an athlete who's being paid to entertain, but you know, you have teachers who are very literally teaching our next generation and we're not paying them near as much what we're paying our athletes. Mm-hmm. And I think that the better, like, I think that's a valid argument and a valid point. Like, absolutely, what's wrong? Something's wrong here that they're so um, imbalanced. Mm-hmm. But I think that the the way that I skew is more along the side of, so then let's pay our teachers more. Not necessarily let's pay them less. Let's pay our teachers more. They right. need to be Balance paid more. And we can pay both. Right, know? right. I absolutely agree with that. Um, <clears throat> and so he, he was granted three years for $3 million. And so for him, coming from like an impoverished neighborhood, he was on top of the world. Like, you know, mama finna get a new house. I'm about to, everybody's about to be put on. And We're so about to win. We're about Everybody to win. Win. And so many called him like the superstar savior of the Seattle Hawks. So he he wasn't just, you know, a small town a small town um athlete. Like he really brought a lot to the the Seahawks. And so he ends up going back to Montreal um like many do once they get drafted, go back home and he sees Tamar and she's actually 21 years old at this time and she is working at a bank and she's honest and she's just like that small town girl that you know I don't he wanted to make sure he locked her down because she knew him before the fame so he knew that she didn't want him for that and you know she was just a good girl you know just she was just a really hometown good girl and so they start to date and um, they are long distance for about the amount of time that he's actually in at, well, not in, but at Seahawks, uh, in Seattle, my fault. And um, they're just, they date and they go back and forth. But shortly after they get together, of course, she gets pregnant and they have their son and they're both very excited about having their son. And I said previously that, you know, Tommy was a player and 
now that he was in the NFL, it was on a much larger scale. And I, you know, we did a story about Steve McNair. If you guys haven't checked that out, please go check that out. But I think that as we kind of study athletes in this manner, what we often come across is that these athletes, it is like status quo for them to indulge with women. Like even if they may have a wife or they may have a girlfriend, like it is a part of that lifestyle to be a player and everybody expects it. And that was very true for Tamar. She just, she just wanted to turn a blind eye to it. She didn't like it, but it was like, but he's, flying me out we have a baby together we're building this life and although she didn't like it she was more accepting of that lifestyle and you know that really kind of takes a toll on their marriage (laughs) not on their marriage but on their relationship as they move forward but as he continues to you know play football of course injuries happen and so he him being a wide receiver he took a lot of hits got a lot of concussions, um, knee injuries. And actually one of the biggest injuries that he struggled with was his Achilles heel and his hamstring. And if you know anything about anatomy, those two, um, those two parts of your body, they heal slowly. Like, so it can take you out for an entire season. And as we said, the reason why they get paid $3 million is because they're in an investment, you know, they, Mm -hmm. the, 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 um, managers and everybody and the head heads of the team they are literally investing in that talent and so when that person then gets hurt then it's like well hope you invested your money well because we're gonna cut you and that's exactly what they did with Tommy in 1993 they cut him from the Seattle Seahawks Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, after he's cut from uh, the NFL, which I kind of liked how one of the commentators that was a really good friend of Tommy said, he says, you know, the NFL actually is dubbed not just the National Football League, but it's short for not for long because literally the average... That's a perfect name. Yes, because the average career is like three and a third of a season. Like, that's pretty much what you're promised. And so he gets back in shape because football is his world. It was his ticket out of his impoverished neighborhood. Um, It got him more money than he could ever dream of. And he just knew he wanted to be back involved in football. And so... Regardless of the energy injuries that he um, received, he decided to get back in shape and just had a tenacity that was honestly very um, 
I was very impressed by his tenacity to get back involved. And so he was drafted by the Toronto Argonauts. And if I'm not saying that correctly, y'all can be sure to um, correct me in the comments. But um, that's a CFL league. And I know a little bit about this because uh, one of my good friends, um, her ex-boyfriend played in the CFL. And that's basically just like uh, a smaller scale of the NFL, like probably what you enter into if you want to get back into the NFL. Or, or even just or like not. you didn't get in, you didn't right. draft it. It's a great place to continue to work your skills out while you're hoping to maybe like, you know, try out again in the fo- the following year. Right, in the future. And so that was really his hope. But the money was half of what he got in the NFL. And so he definitely took a pay cut. But... It was really kind of good because now he didn't have to have that long distance relationship that he was having with Tamar. They were, he was back in Canada and he was close to his family and they were able to really kind of focus on their family at that time, which was a really good thing because he was out there in Seattle doing God knows what. And so, you know, because he took a pay cut, um, he really kind of got involved in the in the community. He started to do some volunteering coaching and started to give back to the community that basically raised him. And he started to mentor um, a new generation of talented youth in his city. But the drawback to that was is that those volunteering gigs did not pay money. And they just were not used to the lifestyle of cutting back because they were able to have this very lavish lifestyle when he was playing in the NFL. But they adjusted very quickly. Um, Tamar was actually a assistant manager at a bank teller at, at, at a bank. And to cut back in an effort to cut back, they actually moved in to um, Tamar's mother's house to mm. kind of like save money and to try to figure out his next move. Right. And I want to kind of like pause and talk about the identity of an athlete, because I think in this particular case, I think it had such rough consequences in Tommy's life. And Tommy really, really struggled with, you know, getting cut by the NFL, then going into the CFL and eventually kind of leaving that behind and trying to give back to the community, but not being paid a lot for that. And, you know, also trying to support a family at the same time. And you kind of just see him struggling to kind of find his rhythm outside of football. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that, MD? Like the identity of an athlete or maybe even just an entertainer, a singer or, you know, how you that can be all of who you are. Well, I think it's it's more geared. I know you you used as a singer. um you know, as an example, but I think, you know, the truth is, is that it's, well, it can be for a singer as well, but I think you see it more in the line of sports Mm. because there's a, there is a very clear end to a sports or an athlete's career, right? No matter what you do, no matter how much shape you, you try to stay in, at some point you're going to age out of this. Right. Um, whereas like with the singer, you know, you arguably, you could have a career, go- I mean, you know, so long as you take care of your voice um, and you do, you know, the necessary things and you have great hits and all of that, you could, you know, arguably stay in the career, you know, until you die. But um, 
so so to your to your question i think that you know it's very difficult when you have built your life and oftentimes these athletes who are the best of the best, right? And we say they're the best of the best because they're the ones that made it to the NFL. They made it to the NBA, the MLB. Um, you know, they, uh, you know they, they're the ones that made it. They built their whole life. That means like even when they were like, young children, mm. they were, everything was to get to this point. And then they arrive. And then they're in it, but only for a moment. Right. And I think... You know, it's like if you don't come in with the right perspective or you're not nurtured or mentored well, I think it can be really a devastating blow to to you. Like, right, like to your your ego, to your who you thought you were to have to, like, find who you are outside of sports, Um, even for a person who is not the best of the best and becomes the athlete, you know, people personally that, you know, and I do, too, that even though they didn't end up making it, they built their whole life on making it that they never had plan B or even if there there was a plan B, it really wasn't what they wanted to do and they can't seem to shake themselves from, you know, I am, you know, Bob, mm-hmm. the basketball player, Johnny, mm-hmm. the football star. You know, I think... It's so difficult and it can really have a traumatic effect if you don't get the right help and the tools and the resources to kind of navigate that kind of identity shift. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was really Tommy's um, conflict constantly um, as he as he floated in between volunteering. And then eventually he went into uh, uh, being like um, a sports manager. Um, he just was trying to kind of figure out what can I do to still be involved in the sports world and have that identity as well, but also provide for my family. So when they moved in with Tamar's mother, um, he decided that 10 years into the relationship, they weren't married. And that kind of was not a thing that he even saw marriage. That's, I mean, it wasn't, anything that he necessarily aspired to or saw his peers doing like you got with one girl you maybe had a couple of babies with her and you might have stayed with her but you didn't feel like marriage was a necessary step right but because Tamar was like so down for him and she had been with him since she was 21 years old he actually did propose to her and they eventually got a house together and they just began to have kids I mean literally they had in two years after they got married they had two more boys and it was said that she really wanted her girl and so she had she finally had a girl like a year after they had their last boy and um they just they were really kind of just working to like be the best family that they could be and provide their kids with a good um a good lifestyle But once again, his identity crisis was just a factor in their relationship. And he eventually became a sports marketing manager, but it wasn't his passion. So although he got into it, it just was kind of like, it became boring. He lost, you know, he lost any passion that he had for it. And so it was kind of a sore spot because then that left Tamar always being the breadwinner, always feeling like I have to provide for our family while he kind of intermittently finds out what he wants to do. Now, when he was doing the sports marketing job, um, he picked up 
drugs again now that was somewhat a part of his life when he was in seattle but because he was an athlete he it couldn't be that much he couldn't be involved in it as much as he was Mm -hmm. once he um transitioned out of the nfl and out of the nfl so once he was discontent you know being very discontent with his job he picked up drug use and then he started to just be on the party scene you know and inappropriately so right like you're older you have a family like what are you doing what are you doing and so his his drug of choice was cocaine and he would go out on binges and not be there for his family and eventually tamar just was like sick of it she was like you know what this is not gonna work (laughs) so they got a separation and it wasn't a formal separation it was kind of like he moved to a condo and she stayed in their home and you know the more and more time that they spent apart the stronger Tamar became like it was like you know at first it was like I want to keep my family together but then she realized that you know what Tommy just was not gonna get it together because he was still doing a lot of the same things Mm -hmm. and they had been separated for about four years and she decided that she wanted to start to date again and those rumors got back to Tommy and he became very irate um he would show up to their home at like 1 a.m in the morning um or just pop up for no you know without warning and just you know, give harassing phone calls to Tamar, just telling her, hey, listen, you know, what are you doing? I know that guy's over there. And he just was having the hardest time. Um, He just really lost control. He would go on cocaine binges um, and it became a cycle of cocaine, alcohol, and then he didn't have a job eventually. And, you know, as I was researching this and they talked about how many concussions that he had while he was at Seattle or in Seattle, I began to wonder, was it, did CTE have any effect on his behavioral, you know, behavior changes? Um, But, you know, I do know that CTE is something that, you know, it can't really, really definitively be diagnosed until that person's deceased. Is that right, MD? Yeah, that's, that's what I understand. They have to be able to examine your brain. Right. And so he, because he was on this cycle of alcohol, cocaine, um, he became extremely depressed and he checked himself into a psych ward and he stayed there for about five weeks. And his sister commented that, you know, that her brother was just extremely broken because he couldn't play football. He lost his identity. Um, He felt like he he was no good to anybody, not his family, not himself. And he was very, very suicidal as well. But at the end of the five, at the end of the five weeks, they did release him and he had nowhere to go because he lost his condo. He didn't have a job and he definitely wasn't going back to his, um, wife's house. Mm -hmm. So he went and lived with his mother and you know she could tell that he still wasn't right even after being released from the psych ward she actually tried to call the psych ward several times and say hey I think my my son needs to be readmitted and I don't know if there is a certain uh which I imagine there's a qualification list that you would have to uh meet but they said they couldn't help him and he was still doing cocaine like still binging on cocaine even though he was back at his mother's home And his mother just was like, he is in need of an intervention. 
And she called Tamar and she said, listen, I know you guys aren't together. I know you don't have anything to do with him, but I think we need to set up an intervention so that we can get him to go and seek help at a clinic. And Tamar was just like, you know, she kind of was hesitant, but overall she knew that if her husband was healthy, that would be healthy for her kids. And she was willing to do anything to come alongside and help him in that journey. And so against her better judgment, she went ahead and decided to attend this intervention. So here's where I jump in, right? Because I do all things crime and trial and post-conviction. So Steph always gives us the background facts. She gives us the tea. And so the crime occurred November 30th, 2003. Tamara and her friend decided, like Steph said, to do an intervention, to do what the mom suggested and try to just salvage what they could and get him to get the help that he needed to get off these drugs once and for all, finally, right? So she goes with her friend who, you know, she knows from church. They they get to Tommy's mom's home and immediately when Tommy sees Tamara, he flies into a fit of rage. Um, he gets extremely angry. And what I'm going to share from this point forward um, is about what the friend witnessed, right? So the testimony of the friend. And so the friend said that at that point, Tommy grabbed Tamara by her hair and was, you know, pulling her and dragging her. Tamara screams, and according to the friend, for her life. Like, it was a scream for her life. And Tommy then pushed, or I'm sorry, they said smashed Tamara's face into the ground and reaches for a knife. This is when the friend jumps in and she's able to grab the knife from Tommy, but then Tommy grabs a second knife, and he immediately stabs um Tamara in the throat wow and she died in her friend's arms now what was the mother doing did we know I from (laughs) I it doesn't appear from what I have did Mm -hmm. you did you find anything about what the mother was doing I don't think the mother was doing anything I don't think she was doing so here this mother um caused the intervention and and she's not at the scene of the the intervention. She's not here in this moment. And I don't know, you know, we don't know, right? We, and part of the reason we don't know is because there was not a trial, um, a completed trial, um, where a lot of these details would have come out, but it's, 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 it appears that she called this intervention, but we don't know, like, was the intervention supposed to be on November 30th? Was Tamara and her friend just decided Okay, let's go. Was this the last minute? I think I think she was at the she was there. Okay, mother was there, but I didn't know if she was like maybe she was on the phone with nine one one or was she trying to help or yeah yeah, because we didn't we didn't see or hear those details weren't clear. Yeah, and so so what we do know is that she dies. She dies at the scene. So apparently, like the the stab that he the you know the. The action of stabbing her in the throat, he he went right for what... And I'm sure, right, it doesn't help. He smashed her face into the ground. Right. She was already beat. Um, and so that's 
how she died. Such a very gruesome. Mm. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, with our stories, my facts are about as long as Steph's. You know, we, we usually have to figure out how can we break this up so we're not so long winded. But mine are pretty quick, pretty. And I think that's evident of the fact that this was not a planned crime he was not intending like in terms of premeditation to kill her um and it does appear to be a a rage a crime of you know passion in the moment and let me be clear because um as an attorney i think sometimes this is this is overlooked you can have an intent to kill so you have first degree murder and this is canadian law so i don't know canadian law but you have first degree murder and most of us know what that is right premeditation like and we think premeditation occurs um you know over time but it it, it has been ruled that case law has has uh proven that premeditation can occur in a blink of a moment Mm. in a second so like i could come to your house without the intent to kill you i didn't premeditate it and then when i get here i can with in a moment a second decide i'm gonna kill steph Mm -hmm. and that will qualify as premeditation wow but they charged him with second degree murder um and so second degree murder does have an intent factor it's just not the premeditation factor so um He initially said, you know, I'm pleading not guilty and, you know, was like, I'm going to trial. I'm not guilty of this crime, you know, and it initially did go to trial. And I think that's where a lot of those facts came out, Steph, that Steph talked about, you know, in terms of, you know, what he did to that Syracuse officer. And I think a lot of that is indicative of why he ended up deciding not to go through with that plea and he changed instead and they 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 the, both sides came to the prosecution and the defense came to an agreement and he pled guilty to um manslaughter yeah and actually in the source material we both made note of this um they were kind of scared initially when it came to second degree or manslaughter uh with manslaughter being the lighter of the charge they were like well we don't want it to be like OJ. We don't want it to be another OJ thing where he gets off. Right. And we both chuckled when we when we were, were, were looking and hearing that because I don't think this would have been another OJ. I think a lot of the, you know, like, I just don't think this would have been another OJ. Yeah, me either. I mean, I think there was just, I think a lot, in large part, because the woman who died was black. Yeah. And, I mean, OJ was such a... He was on another scale. Like, he was like Michael Jordan. Right. So, like, the celebrity was different. Absolutely. Um, and I just think that, that that privilege, that athletic privilege that we're talking about, he would not have been granted that. Not... not um, That would have that would have came into play on some levels. Right. I think they would have probably used it a little. But because he wasn't an active athlete, and neither was OJ. Right. But OJ had that fame attached to his name. I mean, who didn't know who OJ Simpson was, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it was just, it was a little different um, in that regard. And so he ended up pleading guilty to manslaughter, and he received 18 years in prison. Yes. 
Um, and I think that both sides ended up being willing to, you know, and I don't know this. This is just me analyzing the case as an attorney with the little legal knowledge that I do know. And that I think that when, you know, as an attorney, you're always looking at, yes, like, what are the facts that support my case? But then, so like, how strong is my case? Mm-hmm. But what are the weaknesses in my case? And it's a good attorney that recognizes the weaknesses in the case. And this was on the heels of the O.J. Simpson trial. So even if you don't think it's the exact same thing mm-hmm. as O.J., you're still trying to, like, you know, um, think through that and, like, how does that play a factor into my trial? And then also I think the prosecution's looking at, like, okay, you know, all of these facts about his violent past Mm -hmm. is going to come into play and they're going to use that to, you know, possibly convict him. So I think that, you know, the settling on manslaughter was probably the best thing because they they ultimately didn't the 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 prosecution was very nervous about can we show that there was an intent to kill and with second degree murder you still have to show that there was an intent to kill whereas with manslaughter it's a lower uh, burden Mm. so um you know the, the threshold's lower so he ended up pleading guilty got 18 years um and then in 2010 the family sued, uh, did a, a civil lawsuit um, uh, against Tommy, and they were awarded $590,000 in damages, of which he was able to get from the sale of, like, his mother's home. Mm-hmm. Um, and each child was awarded $125,000, um, and then the remainder of that money went to Tamara's sister, who is the one that actually took the children in okay. at after, you know, Tamara died. Wow. The story's not over. Okay. Because in 2015, <laughs> Canadian law has this day release program um, where you, I guess if you've already received, like, you know, good markings and your behavior was well or whatever, you can be eligible for a day release program and where you get to go out and be, like, free. Oh. Not in jail. Not in prison. hmm And he was granted that for six months. And um, then in 2016, he was rearrested <laughs> because yeah, he refused would. to take a urine test and then and just then admitted that you know he had been doing ju- drugs so um which was a violation of his parole obviously right. and so he was rearrested but then subsequently re-released on the condition that he take an alcohol abuse treatment And I know a lot of us are sitting there like, okay, wait a minute. Like, why is this guy being released and released and released? Um, Why is he being granted all of these, you know, exceptions even after he offends? And I believe, I mean, I don't know this for facts. This is not, you know, don't quote me on this. But I think that that's because Canadian, like, unlike the United States of America, where we say that our our prison system was created and it was created for the idea to rehabilitate that was the purpose the purpose of prisons in its initial conception was so that we could put offenders in 
rehabilitate them and send them back into society to be, you know, good good citizens, not offending. And I think that, you know, we can have a whole conversation and we won't about how that got skewed and where that went wrong and how that has, we've deviated from that purpose in so many ways due to money and, you know, systems and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But at the core of it, we still say that it's for rehabilitative purposes, even though that's really not, when we're looking at the physical evidence of what we're doing, that's not the case. Right. But if you look at Canadian, you know, the the Canadians, it appears that that's what they're trying to do. They really are trying to rehabilitate people. Mm-hmm. That's what it appears. I don't know that. And so for our Canadian listeners, if you guys, you know, feel like that's different, like definitely, you know, put that in the comments. You know, you guys know more about the the system than I do. This is just based on like a very, you know, peripheral, you know, glance at what, you know, the, the, their system and their prison system and, and the fact that they did release him and then. Re-releasing. Even after he, they re-released him. So, <laughs> I really think, and and you know, when you look at it, they're like, we really want you to get, in, you have, in order for you to be re-released, we want you to be involved in this, you know, alcohol, you know, prevention, you know, so that you can really get on top of your your issues at the core of who you know what's going right, on. Right. And so that's you know both good and bad, right? You can say like that's really great because they really are trying to help him. Mm-hmm. And then you say that's really bad because he's showing that he's not able to be helped. He doesn't. He can't do it. But at some point, I mean, he was going to finish his 18 years. He wasn't far off from it anyway. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, what do do you do at that point? So, so that's, that's the, the, both the convict, the crime and the conviction and the post conviction of Tommy Kane. Yeah. So what would you say your your takeaway is from this particular case? So my takeaway, and I kind of mentioned it in the beginning, is that because we because the system for whatever their reasons were allowed him to make these minor mistakes and they were minor. But there were zero consequences for it. Like he beat this officer. He stole this car. There were red flags along the way. And I I know you guys are like, oh, here 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 she goes again. Because I feel like that's almost always my takeaway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about these little red flags that we saw along the way. But I honestly believe that if we paid attention to the little red flags, and I'm not saying like put them put them in jail, lock away, you know, throw away the key. But I think that like maybe had he received some consequences, maybe, you know, in that moment. You know, we don't know because, I mean, he was depressed. I get it. He was going through some things. Get it. On drugs. Get it. So maybe he would have never been acting in his right mind. And that's part of the reason why the prosecution didn't feel they could get second degree murder. But, you know, maybe there would have been a pause. Maybe if he knew that there was going to be some consequences to his actions, maybe that wouldn't have occurred. Or maybe you know, the people in his life would have acted different and would have been like, everybody was so surprised by this reaction. But why, why were there, why were, why were they so surprised when there was evidence that this was in his character, Mm. you know? So 
maybe we could have worked out those character kinks back then. Right. Instead of when it was too late for tomorrow. Right. What's your takeaway? I mean, I think, um, you know, I think this kind of speaks to me to a bigger a bigger problem that exists within the sports world. And I don't know that there's an answer for it, like an immediate answer for it when it comes to the injuries that NFL players and boxers um, get when they're playing these sports, these concussions, man. I mean, I feel like we've heard it more in the past five or six years about CTE and all the damage that it possibly can do and, how that that's a risk associated with playing these sports um but just then not only that like that's a separate conversation but I think it's in addition to the culture of athletics in this in this country speaking of America because I think we put like you said there's you can ask a little boy right now what he wants to do nine times out of ten he's gonna tell you he wants to be an NFL player (laughs) or or he was or a basketball player and are we really equipping are we making sure that that mental that mental awareness that mental stability is there is it really there um i know in recent years with um i forget the basketball player he played played for the mavericks but um when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia there wasn't a lot of help in the nba for him at that time mm-hmm. when he first started suffering with it and so it just seems that you know these players are expendable once we once we use you once we invested in your talent and maybe we paid you three million dollars for your talent after that we really don't care what you do and how that affects your family and how that affects your mental stability and how that affects your health and I mean it just speaks to, to me I think this particular this episode just really just made me feel like dang are we even really doing enough are we having the right conversations? Right. And I think that that's not just like an NFL or an NBA problem. Right. I think it starts in the home, right? Obviously, you should be training your children. One, that, you know, sports is not the main priority. Like, I mean, yes, it can be an avenue and maybe it is what you end up doing as your life's work. Like, maybe you do get into the NFL. Maybe you do get into the NBA. I know we are constantly talking to our son about that, who, who you know, loves, you know, football and and he and basketball, and he is an athlete at everything he does. But we're like, listen, at some point, that's going to come to an end. And so you need to find something else that you're good at, too. And maybe you never make it. And so, like, I don't, you know, you need to know that, you know, there's something else. And then also, like, helping him to understand who he is as an individual. Right. So that his identity is not wrapped up in basketball, in football, mm-hmm. in even education. I think it doesn't just stop there, right? We can Great. take this to so many other different places. Right. Like, where do you want your child to understand who they how who they are? Because we shape that, right? Like, we help shape that for our children. Mm-hmm. Yes, they figure it out for themselves, but we help shape that for them. And so I think it does start in the home and that's a conversation. And then I also think that the NFL and the NBA are doing some better things to help them to manage their money and to think about life after. Mm-hmm. They, I know that there are certain programs, like I know the Cowboys have a program, you know, but I think it needs to be a, a heavier emphasis on that. Like, you know, because like you said, we know that the NFL means not for long. So if that's mm-hmm. the case, like if we all understand that, then why are we not 
thinking about the after because the after is where you're going to spend the bulk of your life anyway. Right, right. So I, I really like this case because I think it brings up a bigger conversation that needs to be had. Yes, starting in the home, but then as a culture in um, its entirety. Like, so this case is, is very sad. It's tragic because... You know, I always think about these cases where another parent kills another parent and then the children are left as orphans. Like, they don't have anybody. Right. They don't have a stable parent, and then they don't have you either. Right. And so I just think that is so unfortunate. But I am happy to hear that um, Tamara's sister um, adopted them and, you know, kind of carried that torch because right. she did not have to. She did not have to. So. Right. But I would do that for you, Steph. Yeah, thanks, girl. I would do it for you, too. But we want to encourage you guys to make sure that you rate um, our episodes. We're trying to get on Audible. I'm looking that up currently. And we're also trying to get on uh, the platform of iHeartRadio just so we can get on other platforms that people listen to. Um, but we also have a feature here on Anchor and on Spotify where you guys can leave us a voice message. And if you leave us a voice message, we can feature what you said about the past episode in the newer episode. Yay. We can well, listen, feature that our is, episode. That is so cute. Yeah. I think you should totally do it. Also, please be tuning in to TikTok where we will be announcing, and we will announce it here too, but you'll see it first on TikTok. We will be announcing some future podcasts that Steph and I are branching into, and we will definitely need you, your support with that, and you'll see how. So be sticking, you know, stay tuned and be looking out for those um, little updates. Yeah, updates. All right, till next time, friends. Thanks for joining. Bye.